Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Get That Bread, a podcast discussing value investing strategies. This is episode three of our value investing podcast. So on this episode, we're going to discuss the language of business, which is accounting. And I'm thinking about how how to avoid this subject matter, but it's something that it's I've come to realize that is totally unavoidable. And the reason why I bring that up is for those of you who've never been indoctrinated to accounting, the subject matter can be somewhat dense. But with that being said, it's going to be foundational for the conversations that we have later on where we're actually unpacking specific stocks and investments. So accounting is critical. It's absolutely critical. And with that being said, though, I do want to add kind of one one additional caveat to this, and that's that no single podcast episode is going to touch on all of the nuances of accounting. And so for those of you who are a little bit more ambitious, I certainly recommend you utilizing other resources out there, whether they're textbooks or other publications, certainly online. I think one great tool is going to be investopedia.com. Again, that's investopedia.com. For me, I've been an enormous beneficiary of that platform. I've learned a ton and it unpacks some of the more complex ideas or concepts in a way that's far more accessible than probably the more dense academic textbooks out there. And so definitely take advantage of that resource. Okay, so there are going to be three core financial statements that you're going to have to be aware of. And those include the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. And each of these financial statements, they have a different purpose and they display different aspects of the business financially. They have a very symbiotic relationship. They're interlinked and they certainly affect one another. So let's start with the income statement. On this financial statement, it'll break down all of the company's revenues and expenses. And the way their income statement is organized is revenues are displayed on top, and then you have your operating expenses, and then below that, your operating income or loss line. And so I wanna kind of pause there for one second. The reason why that's important is because the operating income or loss shows you what's the health of the operating, the core operating business looking like. And then as you get below the operating line, you have these additional line items like non-operating expense or net interest expense or net interest income. And these aspects or these these elements are incidental to the business. So take, for example, if you take out financing for your business or if the company has a loan, you have to pay interest expense on that. And so that is where the the interest expense is going to be displayed underneath the operating line, just so that investors can get a feel for what is the health of the core business and how is it being impacted by the incidental or ancillary aspects of that business like financing. Okay, so, and then as you get lower, you're going to arrive at pre-tax income. Pre-tax income or pre-tax loss is your operating income minus all those incidental or non-operating expenses or income that we just discussed. And then after that, after you strip out state and federal income taxes, you get to your net profits of the business. Now, I'm going to pause here for one second. If the company had generated a pre-tax loss, then obviously they're, the company on a tax um, on the tax expense line, they're not going to be realizing any tax expenses. Oftentimes they should be realizing tax benefits due to the loss associated with that specific period of time. So real quick, let's just imagine 
you know, last year you generated income of say hundred bucks. You're gonna have to pay federal taxes on that and state taxes. But then this year you didn't generate any income. So in the same way, you don't, you know, you don't pay any taxes. Same thing with companies. Okay, so now as we get lower down the income statement, you're gonna arrive at your net income or your net loss. That's gonna be your net income net loss for the entire company. And the company should be able to display the basic shares outstanding and the diluted shares outstanding at the very bottom so that investors can get a feel for what is their earnings or loss per share on a basic shares outstanding basis and a diluted shares outstanding basis. Okay, what is the difference between basic and diluted shares outstanding? So the the basic share count is essentially the share count not including any additional uh, financial instruments that the company may be utilizing or um, compensation that could be dilutive to the to the shares. So what do I mean by that? So companies oftentimes they employ compensation packages for their employees or their executives where they're issuing shares to them which can obviously increase the whole shares outstanding base. Also, there are various uh, financial instruments uh, like convertible preferred stock or convertible um, debt or bonds or something along those lines that once you convert, they, they those debt or credit instruments convert into equity. So those instruments could obviously increase the number of shares outstanding. All of these things are factored into the diluted share count. So oftentimes financial analysts on Wall Street um, they'll they'll pay more attention to the diluted shares outstanding rather than the basic shares outstanding because it factors in all of the um, possible ways that the shares can the shares outstanding can increase. It, I think that's uh, an intelligent way of looking at EPS as well. EPS earnings per share. And so the income statement is typically going to be displayed to you on a trailing three-month basis or a trailing 12-month basis. So their um, financial statements are usually disclosed on a quarterly basis or on an annual basis. And the reason why that's going to be important to you is because it'll it'll allow you to be able to compare how well did this business do uh, on a year-over-year basis, on a sequential basis, meaning you know this quarter versus the previous quarter. And then also on top of that, the reason why the income statement overall is going to be very informative to you is so that you can compare and contrast the margin structure of this business compared to its peers. And then going just a little bit further, you know what is the margin profile of this specific company, of the industry overall, compared to other industries and other opportunities in, in, in separate sectors. So the income statement in a nutshell, looking at this thing from a bird's eye view, 30,000 feet up, is going to be very informative around the current profitability of the business. And it'll give you some idea uh, or at least some gauge for what the profitability of the business could look like going forward. All right, so let's move over to the balance sheet. And so the balance sheet essentially is a snapshot of the company's assets, liabilities, and equity at the end of a fiscal quarter or a fiscal year. And so assets are simply those items or those things that generate a future economic benefit, whether that's cash or that's some sort of economic advantage. Uh, liabilities are um, all obligations, whether they're short-term or long-term. Short-term is usually within less than a year. Long-term is anything above a year. And equity is uh, comprised of two things. 
the interest or the investment that equity investors have placed in that business and in addition to that the accumulated earnings or retained earnings of the business quick little comment um, the difference between net income and retained earnings and how you get from the income statement to the balance sheet is net income minus dividends uh, equals retained earnings and the reason why we strip out the dividend component is because it's considered a capital return back to shareholders so that cash or that profit it's no longer held at the company and so it's no it shouldn't be in, it shouldn't be embedded inside the balance sheet Okay, so the reason why the balance sheet is so, so critical for every stock investor is because it offers uh, a lot of insights into the business, chief of which includes the tangible and intangible uh, assets of the business. Uh, and I think even more importantly, the, ca the business's capital structure or the capitalization. And so when I refer to that terminology, I'm talking about what is the financing makeup of the business, meaning what is the proportion of the business that's composed of equity versus debt, both long-term and short-term. And the reason why I bring those two up uh, as some key pieces or key takeaways from a balance sheet is because, you know, as you kind of start looking at the balance sheet line by line, along the way, you could probably uncover or, or identify certain assets that um, may not entirely be reflected elsewhere in either the cash flow statement or the income statement. Uh, there could be investments, major investments uh, that could be enormously value enhancing. Uh, in addition to that, um, you know, the overall capital structure of the business is definitely going to give you an idea on the solvency of the business or the riskiness of the business. And, you know, the terminology solvency, if you're not familiar with it, it's pretty much discussing, you know, um, what is the likelihood of this business continuing on going into the future? And so I just want to let you know, for me, I think when I open up a financial statement and the first thing I gravitate towards um, when I see a balance sheet is, you know, what is that capital structure? That is going to be very, very important. I think the, the a few questions that I always ask myself when I'm looking at the balance sheet is, what is the company's net debt or the net cash position? When I say net debt or net cash, you know, I, I immediately go to uh, the cash line, add short-term investments, uh, and then net out short-term and long-term debts. And is it a net cash or a net debt? Because that will give you a picture over the um, the riskiness of the, the the overall business, especially from a financing standpoint. And then, like I said before, you know, like looking down at all the assets, are, are there any major investments, uh, including like financial securities or other hard assets like properties, that um, that I need to dig a little bit further into to to kind of unravel the whole value picture of the business. So. You don't use the balance sheet um, to just look at one specific period of time, but rather I think the most useful way of utilizing and analyzing the balance sheet is being able to compare the evolution of the capital structure over a long period of time, say three to five years, and looking at it quarter by quarter, because that'll kind of give you a picture of you know how is management doing and stewarding over the financing of the business. And so... You know, that's going to give you if you see a scenario where you where you continue to see assets just growing year over year. And yet at the same time, you see your debts growing uh, far at a far faster pace. You know, all they're doing is simply just uh, financing or or just expanding the size of the balance sheet or the size of their debts in order to finance growth. And that may not necessarily translate into per share value growth. And I think one 
one measure of per share value growth is kind of analyzing, you know, uh, how is equity per share or, you know, equity is synonymous with book value. So how is book value per share growth evolving over time? And I think that's really important because that'll give you kind of a picture of how well management is growing the value of your equity investment uh, on a per share basis over time. The reason why I keep on emphasizing per share, per share value is because you bought an interest in this company, right? You bought a per share value in this business. And so just because book value, let's say the total equity line just jumped um, enormously from one period to the next, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you you are realizing per share value growth. That could have been also due to the fact that management has been issuing a lot of shares in the company so that they're accessing equity financing and thereby diluting the existing shareholder base's ownership and interest in the business. So that's not a good sign, especially if management continues to do that on a reoccurring basis. Okay, so let's move over to the conversation involving the cash flow statement. And for some of you, you may be wondering, what's the difference between the income statement and the cash flow statement? And that's a valid question. In some ways, they're uh, similar, but in most respects, they're radically different. And so the income statement and the cash flow statement, they both record the financial performance of a company within a specific range of time, whether that's the fiscal quarter or the fiscal year. Now, the income statement records certain um, sources of income and expenses that aren't reflective of the cash inflows and outflows of the business. Uh, and, and those are going to be adjusted for on the cash flow statement. So let's let's discuss one of those examples. Prime example is going to be depreciation amortization expense, which is embedded inside the operating expense line. So I'm going to take the next minute or two kind of unpacking and defining what exactly is depreciation amortization expense. In short, I'm going to just say DNA. And what's the interplay between the financial statements and how the DNA expense arrives at the income statement uh, expense line. So whenever a company goes ahead and makes an investment in a property plant or equipment, it will incur what's considered a capital expenditure, which is recorded under investing activities inside the cash flow statement. And now whenever a company goes ahead and does that, it actually creates an asset on the balance sheet. So if we were to consider assets, Typically speaking, most assets, in my view, don't don't live on or don't have a useful life that extends out into perpetuity. They're not gonna they're not gonna exist into infinity. So let's just consider a building. Let's say if a a, a company purchased an office building, you know, if that company never made any additional incremental investments later on in the future to maintain the building, to keep the lights on, to um, get the plumbing continuing working and whatnot, that building over time is going to become dilapidated. It's going to, in other words, depreciate in value. And so from an accounting standpoint, that's going to be taken into account uh, on the income statement. And so it's not going it, they're not going to expense that asset all at once immediately, but rather over the useful life of the asset. Now with that being said, while DNA is accounted for as an expense on the income statement, it's going to be considered a cash inflow on the cash flow statement because, again, it's a non-cash expense. So the cash flow statement adjusts for or accounts for all of these non-cash items on the income statement. 
Also, I do want to highlight one more non-cash item that can cause a significant swing on the income statement line, but yet will still be adjusted for on the cash flow statement. And so that relates to items below the operating income line. From time to time, companies can hold relatively large investment portfolios consisting of financial securities. And so these securities are going to be so-called marked to market. And what that all that means is they're when they're recorded on the balance sheet, they're they're going to be quoted at the most recent quote that's available in the financial markets at the time the balance sheets were put together. And that's going to reflect a certain level of volatility. So during the quarter, say, um, the investment portfolio took a, a large downside swing, and yet the core operating business was performing just fine and actually generated significant margins, uh, it, that, that core operating business could be overshadowed by these um, unrealized non-cash expenses or charges in the non-operating line. That's going to be something that you may come across from time to time. And again, it's going to be adjusted for on the cash flow statement side. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention real quick. All right. Now, moving on to kind of how you interpret or, um, yeah, how you interpret or see the overall cash flow statement, it's structured into three separate parts. And so there's going to be all the cash inflows, outflows associated with core operating activities, um, investing activities, and then financing activities. And at the very bottom, it's going to show you a net change across all three of these segments. And the way it ties in with the balance sheet is, based on where the cash position was in the previous quarter, it's going to be adjusted for based on the net change in the cash flow uh, this quarter, which gets you to the new cash balance. Okay, so I'm going to just go um, really quickly through these uh, three segments and kind of give you a little bit more detail around them. So let's start with the um, cash inflows, outflows associated with operating activities. Uh, from the income statement, what carries over to this uh, cash flow statement is the income, uh, the net income, uh, depreciation, and amortization expense, and other non-cash charges that were uh, recognized on the income statement. Uh, and so the way to think about this is any kind of transactions that are core to the operating business, say like buying inventory or liquidating inventory, they're going to be recognized in this part of the cash flow statement. The way the cash flow statement is organized is the next area, or the next tier is going to include uh, cash flows associated with investing activities. So like I referenced before, capital expenditures, uh, that's going to be recorded here. And so if a company uh, decides to make a, a purchase of an asset, whether that's a property, plant, or equipment, or uh, buy another business entirely, that's going to be recorded here. At the same time, if, if the company wants to be able to sell a, a piece of property or sell certain assets or investment securities, it's also recorded here. Now, moving over to financing activities, if the company were to uh, raise capital, either through the form of debt or equity, uh, or even issue preferred stock. That's a way of raising money. Also, if the company wanted to pay down debt, pay dividends, or repurchase shares, those are forms of cash outflows that will be recorded in this part of the cash flow statement as well. Okay, so this whole discussion so far, I think has laid down at least a very rudimentary foundation of the three financial statements, the income statement, balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. 
This is going to be the starting point for extrapolating key financial metrics for valuation purposes later on when we're actually analyzing individual stocks. So I said this before, and I can't emphasize this enough, but I think having a sound working understanding of financial accounting is going to be so, so crucial for uh, intelligently investing going forward instead of simply speculating. Okay, so I'm going to close this uh, episode out by discussing where to even access these financial statements. And they're going to be typically disclosed through the 10K, 10Q, and from time to time uh, disclosed either in whole or in part uh, on earnings releases that are available on the company's respective investor relations webpage. Now, 10K, 10Q, you're going to access those on the SEC government website under the Edgar database. Once you get there, you're going to you're going to punch in the company ticker symbol and then thereafter punch in the filing code. So the filing code for 10K is just simply 10-K and then for the Q, 10-Q and then it'll pull up the, all of the company's uh, historical filings. And lastly, when you do access those disclosures, don't hesitate to read the notes to the financial statements because there's going to be a lot of incremental disclosure and information there for you, um, including, say, it's, it's not always going to be there, but there, there may be um, revenue breakdown by segment, revenue breakdown by product and by geography. Um, there, there is going to be commentary around management's assumptions on various investments uh, that are going to be valued on the balance sheet. Also, there could very well possibly be some some commentary on forward-looking developments that could radically transform the value of the business overall. So there's information there that could be critical to your analysis. And so I, I hope you don't just gloss over that part of um, the 10K or the 10Q. Okay, so as we approach the close of this podcast episode, I want to refer you to two quotes. And the first one comes from a famous investor named Joel Greenblatt. And he says this. Um, actually, I think it's a paraphrase of what he said in one of his classes at Columbia University. But anyways, he says, if you do good valuation work and you are right, Mr. Market will pay you back. In the short term, one to two years, the market is inefficient. But in the long term, the market has to get it right. It will pay you back in two to three years. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, quote unquote, Mr. Market, it's just a caricature that Ben Graham uh, invented and introduced through, I believe, his his uh, Intelligent Investor book, which he published a long time ago. And uh, the next quote comes from... Ben Graham himself, and he says, we've seen much more money made and kept by ordinary people who were temperamentally well-suited for the investment process than by those who lacked this quality, even though they had an extensive knowledge of finance, accounting, and stock market lore. Okay, so that's a wrap. Uh, In the next episode or the the episode that follows, we're certainly going to start unpacking specific stocks. And we're going to start looking at them under the value investing lens and kind of kind of analytically taking them apart and bringing you for the ride so that you can kind of walk through our rationale and, and, and our logic. So stay tuned and I'll talk to you guys and girls later. Bye. The opinions expressed in this podcast reflects the opinions of the presenter at the time they were made and are subject to change any time after the date of the podcast's production without notice. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. While the statements made in this podcast is based on publicly available information and is believed to be accurate as of the date given, 
no representation is made with regard to its accuracy or completeness. This podcast and the affiliated content are neither an offer nor a solicitation to buy or sell securities. The presenter and its affiliates may directly hold securities mentioned in this material.